from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The title of our morning's message is Comfort for the Hurting. Comfort for the Hurting. Now, as you know, we're living in very challenging times in our country. Really, all over our world, there are very unique challenges that some of us have never obviously experienced, um, especially this past year or so. And already, it seems like we are seeing things, even in our world and in our country, that don't really show that the challenges are going to end. There are now new challenges in our country. And then there are the, of course, those things that have hit close to home for us as well. Here amongst us, difficult things that have transpired in many of our personal lives, and then also for us as a church. You know, some of you have suffered from very real financial struggles, loss of a job, um, loss of basic sustenance, and God has abundantly provided for you, even through other people, and that's been amazing to see. Some of you have suffered from light sickness, but others of you from severe sickness. And of course, even the death of loved ones, including this week. We are very mindful of that as your pastors and as your elders. And so this morning, I thought it, thought it would be fitting to spend some time together here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. It's a passage that has been very dear to my heart ever since I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, back in 1993, I returned to this passage again and again and again, and it's been such an encouragement to me, and I pray that it would be to us as well as the Spirit of grace applies it to our hearts, okay? So if you would stand with me, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7 through 7 together, or I'll, I'll read it and you follow along, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Right away you notice in our text, verses 3 through 7, that the Apostle Paul, after some words of greeting, basically plunges into a blessing, a blessing of God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. In other words, the opening words, just the opening word itself is is a praise back to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a praise to Him. Paul is ascribing honor and adoration to God. Even though things have been rocky between Paul and the Corinthian believers, he reminds them here right off the bat from their own experience, even as apostles, that God is always good, and that God is always kind, and that God is always worthy of praise, even in suffering. Now, as he praises God, 
in verses 3 through 7, and he begins that way, we learn some things about a ministry that perhaps some of us don't often think about. You know, we talk about mercy ministry in our church. And for some of us, maybe that might strike us as, you know, there are particular people, volunteers in our church, who are devoted to that mercy ministry in the church. But really, when you stop and think about it, all of us as believers are to be part of an ongoing mercy ministry in the church. It is called the ministry of comfort. There is this ministry of comfort that exists among us in the church. And Paul speaks much of God's comfort here in 2 Corinthians throughout the whole letter and especially here at the beginning. This theme of comfort is prevalent in the letter. In fact, 29 of the 59 uses of the word translated comfort appear in this letter alone. And just in verses 3 through 7, our text, that word, translated comfort, appears nine times. It's the word uh, parakaleo. One called alongside of another to help, to encourage, to console, to comfort. This passage, in other words, is all about the ministry of comfort that should exist in the church. Oh, bringing comfort to one another is so important, isn't it? Some of us have experienced that over the years as part of God's people, part of the church, part of the redeemed, the comfort that comes by being a church family. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. You know, we talk about comfort food. I don't know what your favorite comfort food is, right? Comfort food is that, 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 that food that we love to partake of, maybe during the holidays, that goes beyond um, physical gratification, it's that special food that just makes you feel better in the sanctified kind of sense, right? Like the, for me, being a Mexican or Hispanic, over the holidays, my favorite comfort food is tamales. That blessed heavenly food, okay? I love that, that comfort food. Maybe for you, it's, it's chicken soup right now for many who are sick. Maybe it's, for some of you teens, I asked a couple of you this week, you know, mac and cheese. Really? Comfort food, mac and cheese? I don't know about that, okay? But for some of you, that's your comfort food. We know what that means. Well, this morning, I really want us to, to partake, beloved, of some spiritual comfort food for the soul. Spiritual comfort food. And so here are three aspects here in verses 3 through 7 of Second Corinthians 1. Three aspects of the ministry of comfort in God's church for our mutual encouragement and edification, okay? I want you to consider first this morning the bestower of comfort. The bestower of comfort in verse 3. Look at our passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Stop right there. Right off the bat, we see that the ongoing ministry of comfort amongst us as believers, comes to us from the top down, from our great God. You know, all of us as human beings, if you walk with the Lord long enough, you know your inadequacy. You know your insufficiency as a believer. You know your weaknesses. That left to yourself, you really have nothing in and of yourself to encourage others with. Because we have our own weaknesses and our own struggles. And this is why comfort flows down from God. He is the, the infinite, endless reservoir of lavish grace amidst our circumstances and our trials. And that's what Paul focuses on here first. 
The ministry of comfort in the, in the life of the church begins with our great God. And so in the context of comfort, who is he? Notice in verse 3, he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one true God who specifically is the eternal father of the eternal son whom we know as our Lord Jesus Christ. And you might ask yourself, why does he highlight this specifically, this title of God? And it's because of this. Because it's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we've entered into this relationship with God where now He is our Father and we are His children. Through Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus Christ, notice, that we've come to know God, verse 3, as the Father of what? The Father of mercies. That word mercies is a, a beautiful word. It appears in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. Where Paul, building on 11 chapters of the glories of Christ, the fact that God has saved us in and through the person and the sacrifice of Christ, he says, in the light of that, therefore, Romans 12.1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice. I want to instruct you and to exhort you, the Apostle Paul says, to live a life of worship, beloved brethren, in light of the mercies of God in the gospel. Literally, the the tender pities of God. The tender compassion shown to sinners in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know what the greatest expression of of God's comfort and encouragement is to people in this world, it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because it's in the person and the work of Christ that we see sin dealt with. It's where we see Jesus having paid for sins. And without payment for sins on the cross, and our uniting to that sacrifice by faith alone, not by works, but trusting in that sacrifice of Christ alone, there is no mercy. There is no mercy. Mercy is found. Tender pity is found at the cross of Christ for sinners who repent and believe in Him. And so the cross of Christ is the greatest expression of the love and the grace and the tender pity or mercy of God. Were it not for Jesus, there would be no hope and there would be no comfort or consolation for a sinful world. Only hopelessness and despair. And so right away, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we have a special relationship with the God of this universe, and we can address Him as Father because of the mercy that He's shown to us in at the cross of Calvary. And so for those of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can identify with Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, right? This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Say it with me. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Beloved, because of our position in Christ, because we put our trust in Christ, we are the recipients of God's loving kindness, His steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping love each and every day of our lives, even in the midst of our greatest pains and afflictions and sorrows, right? Because of what Jesus has done, we've come to know a good and gracious God of mercy. 
And in our ongoing relationship with God, we're, we're continually reminded of words like Psalm 9 and verse 10, which says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. Because of who God is, He can be trusted. He can be trusted. What's in a name? What's in a name? What's significant about a person's name? I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that in, that in Hebrew thought, one's name pointed to two primary things. One, to your unique identity that specifically and especially distinguishes you from another person. But secondly, your name points to your character, to who you are as a person. And that can be a good or bad thing on the human level, right? But this is most important when it comes to the name and the character of God. Because again and again, Scripture reminds us that though our trials are many, God's loving kindnesses are greater than our trials. That though our circumstances may be difficult and ever-changing, that there is a, a God who does not change. He is our Heavenly Father. He is the unshakable one who's never taken off guard or surprised by anything that happens in our lives, personal or commun- uh, communal. God is our comfort. He's always with us. It was that great man of God, a great man of God, Moses, in Deuteronomy 31, as his life was coming to a close, that said repeatedly in Deuteronomy 31 and throughout his sermons in Deuteronomy, basically preparing the nation of Israel to enter the promised land, knowing that he would be gone, Joshua would take over. He says again and again to them, be courageous. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And boy, did Moses know that from experience. The man of God knew from experience. No one in this room or listening online buried more people than Moses. No one. And yet he could say in Psalm 90 in verse 1, Oh Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the sea, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are our dwelling place. You are our home. You are our abode. Moses had experienced the comfort of God. And you know what? Scripture is abundantly clear, isn't it? Of the fact that God is the the source of our comfort. Nothing in this world can bring encouragement to us like God. Nothing. Just a survey of the songs we've already been reading this year as a church. Just a, a quick survey of some of those. Those scriptures have taught us that God is our refuge, He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our shelter. He's our shield. He's our deliverer. He's our present help in time of trouble. He's our salvation. He's our strength. He's our protector. He's our dwelling place, our abode, our home. He is the one who protects us. He's Yahweh Elion, the Most High, which speaks of His sovereignty and His exalted status and His majesty. He's Yahweh Jireh, the Lord who provided for His people again and again and again, and indeed the God who provides for us. Amen? Emotionally and spiritually and physically. He's Yahweh Shalom, beloved. The Lord of peace, who extends the the peace to His people that surpasses all comprehension, found in Jesus Christ alone. He's Yahweh Shalom. 
He's El Shaddai, God Almighty, unlimited in power and unrivaled in authority. Thus, we can trust Him because there's nothing, even death, even severe sickness in this world, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate the believer from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is who He is. He's Yahweh Ra'ah, our shepherd. That's in Psalm 23. He's our, our pastor. He's our shepherd. He's our great shepherd who guides us and leads us and protects us and who extends comfort and encouragement to us, who consoles us in our deepest anguish and troubles. You know, as pastors, we understand our limitations. Okay? We understand our limitations as pastors and elders that, beloved, we can't exhaustively comfort you. We are not sufficient for those things. You know, we do our best by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit of God to bring comfort and consolation to you and to encourage you by means of the Word, privately and publicly. But there is only one chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus, who will never, ever abandon you, nor be indifferent to you, nor desert you. Amen? He is Yahweh Ra'ah, the chief shepherd. This leads us to the second aspect of the ministry of comfort in the church. Not only do we see the bestower of comfort, but we see the beneficiaries of God's comfort. Consider the beneficiaries of God's comfort. As Christians, we don't worship a God distant and detached or indifferent from us, right? God's character, who He is, is displayed or shown, expressed in the ongoing care and consolation and comfort that He extends to us as His people. And so God is not only transcendent, beyond us, above us, but He's also imminent. He's near us, close to us. He's connected to us by faith in Jesus Christ. He's in a relationship with us. So that even though there are so many difficult things in the world and in our personal lives that we are experiencing currently, I want to encourage, beloved, that God has not left us alone or abandoned us in our trials or in our difficulties. We have become the beneficiaries of His comfort. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Here it is. And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. You see that? All comfort, all affliction. That double use of the word all emphasizes completeness. Abundance of affliction and abundance of comfort comes to us. Look down in verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. What this is saying is that just as the, as the Christian life, and maybe you can say a hearty amen to this, just as the Christian life abounds with affliction in a broken and fallen world, so God's comfort abounds to us. He holds nothing back from us. He withholds no affection from us. We have a Father who matches our hardship with help that we might endure hardship. We have a Father who matches our suffering with superabundant, sustaining grace each and every day. That divine favor of God that not only saves us, but sustains us all the way until the end when Christ returns. Notice in verse 5, 
that this outpouring of comfort is for those of us who have put our trust in Christ. It's in Christ that God extends this comfort to us in that relationship. Look at verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so our comfort, also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Of Christ, through Christ. In other words, it's because of our union with Christ, our connection with Christ, because of our relationship with Christ, that we are the beneficiaries of all of our Father's consolation amidst our sufferings for Christ. You know, many of us have experienced one of our children, perhaps in the past or recently, taking a a fall in the playground and maybe injuring themselves. And as soon as that little toddler falls and hurts him or herself, what do they do, parents? What do they do? What do those little ones do? They run to who for consolation? To their parents. To mom and dad. To you, dad. To you, mom. They know that it's in the arms of that parent that they are safe. That they are secure. That they're going to receive a hug and a squeeze. And it's okay. Get back in there, right? Encouragement and comfort and motivation. You know, this is what God does for His children. In our deepest moments of pain and anguish and sorrow this past year and even before last year, how many times has God the Father not been there for you when you've sought Him in prayer? I've been there many times, brothers and sisters. Yes, pastors struggle too. We're just human just like you. We're just skin just like you. We're susceptible to the same weaknesses as you are. And many a time, our pastors and elders have had to seek the face of God in private and together for that encouragement, for that motivation, for that comfort amidst anguish, the anguish and sorrow of both what's happening in the world and what's happening in individual lives of people in the flock. Many a times we've had to do this. Now, how is God's comfort extended to us? Well, it comes to us through His Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Go with me to John chapter 16. I want you to go with me to John chapter 16. Because it's here in John 16 that we see that God's comfort is extended to us in a very real way through the Holy Spirit of God. Our Lord Jesus finds Himself here in the upper room with His disciples on the night of His betrayal. It's His last night with them. Try to transport yourself into that upper room where Jesus is giving this discourse. Jesus has been talking to His disciples about the fact that He's going to go to the cross repeatedly, but now it finally is beginning to hit home for them. He's talking about the fact that the time has come for them, for Him to go to the cross and to die. Imagine the anguish. Imagine the sadness after three and a half years of walking with your Lord, of Him caring for you, of Him being your protector in so many different circumstances. And they become troubled in spirit. And Jesus takes an opportunity here to comfort His disciples. Look at verse 5 of John 16. But now I am going to Him who sent me. I'm going back to my Father, says Jesus. And none of you asks me, where are you going But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper, the parakletos. There's our word. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. That's why the Spirit came. The Spirit did not come to bring attention to himself. He came to to make much of Christ in the hearts of spiritually dead sinners. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Well, these are loving, truthful words of our Lord Jesus. Yes, I'm going to go to the cross. And yes, I know that your hearts are filled with sorrow and troubled. But I'm going to send you the parakletos, the Spirit of God, the one called alongside to, to help you, sent by my Father. He's coming. You will be the beneficiaries of God's encouragement and comfort through the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what will He do? He will convict you of your sin. He will admonish you through through the Word of God. He illumines people in Christ, believers, to the Word of God. He teaches us and He guides us by His Word. He exhorts us and admonishes us when we sin. And listen, beloved, especially when experiencing sorrow and suffering and trials, The Holy Spirit's ministry abounds to us by bringing consolation and encouragement to us, right? Earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says to the Romans that even in in our weaknesses, the Spirit of God comes and, and helps us. Even in those moments when we're experiencing trials and suffering and difficulties, when you get to that point where you are trying to bear up under your trial by the grace of God, and you get to those moments when... You just don't know what to say anymore. Lord, I just, I just, this is repeated. Is there ever any relief? Is there ever a moment when I'm going to be able to breathe, spiritually speaking? When you get to those moments where you are speechless in the midst of your trials and in the midst of your sufferings, Paul says in Romans 8.26 that the Spirit of God helps us with groanings too deep for words. You ever been there? Lord, I just, oh Lord, just help me. Grant your people grace. And all of a sudden you begin to to sense the Spirit of God carrying you on eagle's wings, right? Reminding you of the truth of His Word. Reminding you of the truth of the Gospel. Reminding you of the victory that is secured in Jesus Christ. But you get to those moments where you're just speechless. How many of you have been there? Many a times we've been there. I've spoken to some of you who have been at that point. I just don't know what to do. All I know to do is just go to the Lord and pour out my heart to Him. And it's in those moments that the Spirit of God ministers to us. And God bestows comfort upon us. Look at verse 4. His comfort is bestowed upon us in, in all our affliction. In all our affliction. That word affliction is the word flipsis. It refers to trouble from within or from without. Those life pressures, internal pressures, outside pressures, when you feel hemmed in on all sides, 
Times when you feel like the trials just won't stop. Philipsis. Troubles. Pressures. From within and from without. It is in those most difficult times, beloved, that the Spirit of God comes alongside of us to console us and to encourage us, to grant us the courage and the resolve to continue by the Spirit of God and by His grace to endure under suffering, to live well under our trials. He is a faithful God, isn't He? He's a faithful God, bestower of comfort. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Isn't it true on the human level that when hard times hit, true friends stick together during hard times, right? It's when those challenging times come that we discover on the human level who our true friends are. If that's true on the human level, how much more when it comes to God our Father? How much more? In our hardship, He sends us the the helper in our affliction. He sends us the advocate. In our pain, He gives us the paraclete, the precious Holy Spirit who encourages us and comforts us. May encourage us today, church. Take heart. Take heart not in yourself, not in your own strengths, Not in your own weaknesses, but in the power of the Spirit of God that works mightily in and through us. Amen? Amidst your pain, amidst your trials, remember that God's comfort is extended to us through His Spirit. He he loves us. He cares for us. There's nothing that He won't give us if He's already given us His Son. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has extended His love for you at the cross of Christ, what else is He going to withhold from you? He's given you the greatest one, His Son. There's nothing else that's good that He's going to withhold from you and I. Nothing. Do you feel weak these days? I do too. Do you feel frail? Do you feel your humanness You're keenly aware of your humanity right now. I think there have been many moments when we've felt that way. That we are not invincible. And that is, by the way, one of the functions of everything God has allowed in our lives, especially the last year, that we would remember that we are not invincible. That we need Him. So, if you feel weak or fragile, if you're keenly aware of your humanness, can I encourage you, this is a good place to be that's a good place to be you know in the world to give the appearance of weakness is a bad thing you even appear to be weak in the eyes of the world then you are not competent you won't be given that opportunity people will look down on you people will talk behind your back in the world that is the way of the world to be weak is a bad thing But as Christians, it's when we are mindful of our weakness and of our inadequacies and insufficiencies and of our neediness that we are most ripe to experience and receive the grace of God and His comfort. That's when we're most ready. It's when we feel the burden of our sin that we are ready for the balm of Christ. You feel the burden of your sin? You feel the burden of your struggles? 
Don't stay there. That is a gift of God, by the way. For, to feel the burden of your sin and the burden of your struggles is a gift of God. But don't stay there because there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross, isn't there? There's forgiveness in Christ. Christ came to die for those sins. Christ came that we might ultimately, by faith, be rescued from all pain and suffering and affliction in this world in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells because King Jesus dwells and reigns. So go to Him. Go to Him. Apply the balm of Christ, of the gospel, by the strength of the Spirit of God. Paul recognized his own weaknesses towards the end of this letter of 2 Corinthians, in fact. If you go with me to 2 Corinthians 12, go with me there. He talks about the fact that God had given him a thorn in the flesh, he called it. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. We don't know specifically what that thorn in the flesh was in 2 Corinthians 12 as he speaks of this. We don't know what it was. It a physical infirmity? Perhaps. Most likely it was some kind of spiritual attack. Maybe uh, a dem- demonic oppression. Even though believers cannot be indwelt by demons, certainly we can be uh, oppressed by spiritual forces of wickedness, right? Perhaps it was that for Paul. How did he process through this? Look at verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 12. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Lord, take it away. Paul kept praying repeatedly, Lord, take this away. Give me some relief. What was Jesus' answer? And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. No, Paul. I'm not going to take it away. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to allow you to live well under it by my power and by my grace. Notice, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In whom? In yourself, Paul? Of course not. In Christ. In Christ. So it's okay, beloved, in the Christian life to be keenly aware of that sense of weakness, but don't stay there. Find courage at the foot of the cross. Right? Our Christ's power is perfected in our weakness. And so go to Him. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. I love what Peter says to believers there amidst their persecution. And after you have suffered for a little while, he writes, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, listen, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, it's when we are in the midst of the the deepest, most profound, unimaginable pain as believers that we are most ripe to be the recipients of God's amazing grace, of His comfort. We've seen the bestower and the beneficiaries of comfort. Please consider third, the bearers of comfort. Please consider the bearers of comfort. Having been the depositories of God's lavish grace and consolation and and comfort. The blessing doesn't end there for us, beloved. I want us to consider this for a few minutes. 
Because now we in turn, those who've had God's grace poured into us, have experienced the comfort and the consolation of God, now we have a responsibility, a loving responsibility and loving duty, spirit-empowered responsibility to comfort others and be those who console others. You've heard the statement, right? I, I come bearing good news. I come bearing gifts. Well, as it pertains to the ministry of comfort in the church, we come alongside of others now, and we are bearers of comfort. We come to deliver comfort and encouragement and consolation to others. That's our ministry in the church. It's the ministry of of comfort. Look at our passage in verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And for what purpose? For what purpose are we as Christians comforted by God? Obviously, there's the immediate, genuine love that God has for you personally. By virtue of your relationship with Him, you're His child. He's your Father. He genuinely wants to care for you first and bring consolation to your soul first. But also, listen, there is a a reciprocal purpose here. There is a a mutual benefit that God our Father is after for His children to experience with one another in the power of the Spirit. Where we now in turn reciprocate this ministry of consolation not toward God, because God is is all-sufficient. He doesn't need anything from us. He is enough in Himself. That's what self-sufficiency means. God is enough in Himself. He needs nothing from anyone. But... This ministry of comfort now is expressed toward one another on the horizontal level. We're now needy sinners, saved by grace, are coming alongside of others to comfort one another, right? God comforts us in our affliction. Look at verse 4. So that we will be able, that is equipped, supplied, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God has ministered to us. He encouraged us. He consoles us. He strengthens us. He motivates us. He grants us courage. Why? So that we in turn now become vessels who deliver comfort and encouragement and motivation by means of God's word to other believers. Isn't that beautiful? Oh man, we are a part of something really beautiful. We are part of something amazing, the bride of Christ. Imagine just this past year, if you didn't have the comfort and the consolation, not only of God first and foremost, from whom all blessings flow, but from other believers in the body of Christ, what would you do with yourself? I need you. My family needs you. We need one another in Christ, beloved. That's what a church family, that's why God has designed this church. It's a living entity. It's a living organism that is mutually caring for one another in the power of the Spirit by the grace of God. That's what we are called to do with one another. As God pours His lavish blessings upon us, we in turn turn around and now we are delivering comfort and encouragement and consolation and motivation by means of the Word of God to one another. That's how the church should function. Look at verse 6. But if we are afflicted, now he's, he's personalizing this, 
Paul to his own ministry and to, and to the ministry of his, his um, uh, fellow partners in the gospel. But if we are afflicted, Corinthians believers, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Paul is saying, you know why we suffer, Corinthians? It's for your benefit. And boy, did Paul the apostle suffer. Shame and attacks and beatings and assaults and imprisonment. Boy, he did not lack as far as suffering. And he says, as you watch us go through these things, and you see how God pours his enabling grace upon us and comforts us and we endure, then you turn around and you are now consoled and comforted in your trials so that you bear up under as you watch your spiritual leaders endure by the grace of God and we're all the recipients of God's grace together. Wow. It's almost like God knew exactly what he was doing, right? I love the design of the church that we become now one another, ministers of one another. This is the ministry of comfort in the church. To love one another in the deepest moments of pain and trial, right? In the power of the Spirit of God. You know, I've often wondered why. Maybe you have. Why as a kid and then as a youth, I've often wondered why God allowed me to go through the circumstances that I went through and the way that those things went down. Why he would allow me to witness the abuse and the murder of my biological mother? You know, as a non-believer, I didn't have any, any gospel lenses through which to, to process that. And I wondered why, Lord, could you have accomplished this difference in, in a different way? Whatever lessons you wanted me to learn. And then he saved me. And over the years, in retrospect, things become clearer and clearer and clearer. Not only has he shown me his own comfort, he's comforted me and consoled me in those trials. But you know what? Over the years, in the infinite providence of God, by his grace, he has given me the privilege of coming alongside of person after person after person who's gone through, from a human perspective, traumatic experience such as that one. And not only to be there to identify with them, but also to point them to the balm of Christ. To remind them, you know what? In a broken, fallen world, all of those things are possible and all of those things go, but here is the ultimate thing that you need to learn. Go to Christ. Ultimately, there is forgiveness for those things at the foot of the cross. One, thing, one day, all of those things will be made well in a new heavens and a new earth because of King Jesus. Maybe you can identify with that. The things that experiences that God has allowed you to go through in your Christian journey, you wonder, Lord, why? Some of you who have had loved ones pass away. And now you're able to come alongside of others because you understand, you identify with them, don't you? You can empathize. You can put yourself in their world and understand what they're experiencing right now. And not only be there for them, but then speak words that are not just truthful words, but timely words as well to those believers. That's the function of our trials. We might be bearers of comfort to others, given our experiences. Romans 12, 15, I read this before this, uh, I prayed for our sermon. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are to meet people where they are at, at all times and on all occasions. If there's matters of rejoicing, we rejoice. If there's matters of grief and sorrow, we do so with them, though not despairing in Christ. 1 Peter 3.8 says that we need to be sympathetic towards one another. That's the idea of putting yourself in the world of somebody else, that you might be an encouragement to them. Be sympathetic towards one another. We meet one another where we are at. You know, in your daily Bible reading not too long ago, we begin by, we begin by reading Ecclesiastes 3.1. You remember that verse? Ecclesiastes 3.1? There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. You see, life experience and life wisdom teaches us that there's an appropriate time for everything. And as we walk together in this life, beloved, we learn to practice sensitivity towards one another and console one another in the hardest moments of life, the deepest trials of life. But of course, this doesn't come natural to us. This doesn't come natural to us. We don't naturally, in and of ourselves, learn to be bearers of comfort to one another. So how does God accomplish that in us? Through our suffering. Through our suffering. That's why Philippians 1.29 says that to you it has been granted. This grace has been given to you not only to believe in His name, but also to suffer. That's a grace of God. Suffering. And I know that that's difficult to feel in the moment, right? Wow, Lord, thank you for this gift of suffering. Give me some more, right? Who says that right now? But ultimately, in the amazing providence of God, in the goodness of God, in the kindness of God, He works out, Romans 8.28, everything for the good of those who have trusted in Him, right? For His glory and for, good, and for our good, He works out everything. So this is what Paul is getting at here. Now look at verse 6. Here he speaks of his own suffering again. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. What is Paul saying there? Here's what he's saying. God comforts us so that we're able to endure our personal suffering for Christ as the apostle. And then in, but then in turn, we comfort you in your suffering so that you also endure. And guess what? We all realize our hope. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Which pictures, pictures the Christian life as a, as a race. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Speaking of the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And here it is. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? How do we do this? How do we live in a 
Christ-exalting way in the midst of difficulties beyond what we ever imagine in life. It's by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Did you catch the imagery? Did you catch the the picture there? Paul likens the Christian life to a race, and each of us are on this track, on this race, if you will. But we're not alone. We're not alone. Our Lord, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, who bore our sin, who suffered for us all the way to the cross, is both the lead runner, and listen, he is also the anchor runner who, in has, who ensures the victory for us. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. But then there are other Christians. Each of us who are believers, we are co-fellowshippers, In the sufferings of Christ, we run this race. And as we're running this race of the Christian life, guess what we're doing? We are handing one another water, cheering one another on, giving each other those, those moments, those words of encouragement and motivation to finish the race of the Christian life. Finish well, Tim. Finish well, Ernie. Don't lose heart, sister. Don't lose heart, brother. Remember what the Word of God says here, and I totally can identify with what you're saying because this is what I'm going through. Pray for me. How can I pray for you? That's what we're doing in the race of the Christian life. See, we are not alone. There's great comfort in that, isn't there? Great comfort in the the fact that there is nothing that we're presently experiencing by ourselves or nothing that we can ever experience that others haven't experienced and gone through themselves. There's great comfort in that. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation or testing has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Paul is not downplaying anybody's testing or suffering or temptations. He's not saying, get over it, suck it up. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, be comforted. There's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. See, beloved, knowing that we're not alone should encourage us to endure in the Christian life because our faithful God, the God of all comfort, is with us. Amen? He's with us. You know, Scripture speaks so much about this ministry of mutual encouragement. Mutual encouragement. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What a great text. Chips and sparks fly, right? When iron hits other iron. But you know what also happens? There's mutual encouragement. Mutual edification. Mutual building up. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. Listen to this verse. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor... For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Wow. The wisdom of 
being bearers of comfort, right? Of walking together in this life by the power of the Spirit of God. And then there's that beautiful verse tucked in at the end of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That exhortation to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ is in the context of spirit-empowered people who are loving one another and who are coming alongside of one another, bearing under those weights because none of us are sufficient to be able to carry the weights of life, those struggles, those burdens that we carry. We need God and we need one another. That's why you need to be involved in the church. That's why you need to be connected It's not about following rules. It's about doing what glorifies God and what benefits you and is healthy spiritually for your soul so that you are not isolated. So that you open yourself up to others, minister to you, and vice versa. It's called discipleship. Mutual investment for the purpose of growth in Christ in the context of the church. We need that, beloved. We need that. And then I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 and following where Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers. They have questions about the end times, and listen to what he writes to them. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine being able to see Christ, to be with the lover of your soul. I can't even begin to imagine that. And Paul says, therefore, in the light of the return of Christ, comfort one another with these words of what is to come, that Christ is coming back for those who put their trust in him, that that will soon be with him. He says, encourage one another, remind one another of those things. How much more, beloved, in the midst of suffering and pain and anguish and sorrow? Should we be reminding one another of that? And so trials and suffering have the purpose of of evoking in us a greater longing and a greater anticipation for the return of Christ. Amen? God is our comfort, the great bestower of comfort who lavishes His grace and His comfort upon us so that we in turn do the same thing for others. And my prayer, and I know our prayer as elders and pastors, is that we would excel still more, beloved. Not only in being people who seek the grace of God through Jesus Christ in daily dependent, spirit-empowered prayer, but that then as God fills us with His comfort and His consolation, we would in turn be a benefit to one another. Amen? We might love one another, that we might console one another, especially in times of great difficulty and affliction, so that we would bear up under these trials in a way that honors the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your comfort. Lord, as I reflect this last year, not only in my life, in the lives of us as leaders, but also in the life of your church, Lord, you have lavished your grace and your comfort and your encouragement upon your people. Lord, thank you. 
Thank you. As Job said, though you slay me, I will hope in you. Father, help us by your grace to be able to say those things. And like Moses in Psalm 90 and verse 1 who said, You have been our dwelling place. You have been our abode, our home, our refuge. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength, my strength and my portion forever. Father, help us by the power of your spirit to be able to say that. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the hope that we find in Jesus. That, Lord, if there isn't Christ, if he did not come and do what he did and ascend to to your right hand, and if he is not returning, yes, Lord, this is a, a life where we can despair. But, Father, thanks be to God that you always lead us in triumph through Jesus Christ. So that, Lord, even though momentary light affliction may be upon us, Lord, you are producing in us an eternal weight of glory because of King Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, help us to trust in him. Help us to rest in Christ. And help us to come alongside of one another and be comforting one another with the soon return of Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.